0: Let there be sound. That's one thing that God didn't say. Let there be sound. But there is sound. Titus. He's a a protege of the Apostle Paul, an understudy, if you will, a disciple of Paul. And uh, obviously, uh, perhaps it is a theme that has been in my life for some time, but this uh, understanding that there needs to be a handoff of leadership has always been in my heart and in my concerns. And obviously, uh, we're seeing a day, it seems as though, when young men and women are going to university, going to seminary, Studying for the ministry coming out with a mindset that they are now in a vocation <clears throat> This is not a vocation It's a unique calling from God and so as a local church my one of my concerns is that we uh, help uh, young men and women who understand that to Properly and rightly approach what it means to serve Jesus Christ <clears throat> and uh Obviously, uh, last week we read verses 1 through 3, Paul writing a letter to Titus, but really the letter is not so much for Titus. The letter is for the uh, people of Crete, to whom Paul is going to leave Titus in charge. And there's always that sense of rejection, if not disinterest, in someone who's placed in in front of us as leaders. When I was in the military, the first day I got to basic training, there was no one there. I showed up as I was supposed to. The barracks were empty. It was a beautiful Saturday. I uh, unpacked my stuff, not knowing exactly where I was going to put it, but I got sort of unpacked and just sort of waited for people to show up. And eventually a guy comes in with a brimmed round hat, and patches on his sleeve, and sunglasses on, and he looked as though he could tear me in half. And he just called me soldier, and uh, stand up, give me your name, blah, 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 so I did. And uh, I started to learn a lesson really fast about how to respond to authority, and uh, who's in charge of my life. And he basically told us, I'm your mother, I'm your father. I'm your judge and jury. I mean, he went on through a whole litany of things that uh, I had to understand. This is my authority from now on for the next eight weeks. That's scary. What happens when a pastor or a Sunday school teacher is leading, whether it's church service or a class in one of our rooms there is that understanding that someone is bringing God's Word, has prepared, hopefully, and they're going to uh, present the, Lord, uh, the Lord's Word to us. And obviously, our response needs to be one of yielding and listening and evaluating and uh, obviously trying to uh, uh, sympathize with that person's skills and uh, inadequacies to hear the truth. And uh, here in church, we do that. Paul is trying to introduce a letter to a a group of people who have just basically only heard the gospel and nothing else. So they've gone from uh, hearing the gospel in Jerusalem, taking it back to the island of Crete, uh, introducing that to perhaps their family and friends and uh, community folks, and they're trying to uh, figure out how to take uh, Judaism and merge into that this person Jesus Christ and the the idea of his death, burial, and resurrection, which they probably heard on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, and they're trying to put that together and make sense of it. They don't know how to do church. They don't even know what church is. So somewhere along the journey, which we don't have a record of, Paul and and, uh, his team, especially he and Titus, had to have come to Crete a second time. The first time was a, was a shipwreck. They weren't there long. There had to have been a second time because he talks about, and what we're going to see today is there are numerous uh, groups on this island who are uh, together now with this understanding of somewhat understanding of the gospel. And Paul wants to organize this and establish uh, a right uh, model for a church. So last week we talked about the fact that Paul was introducing himself in this letter because he wants to make sure the Cretans are understanding whose authority is speaking to them about how to implement their faith in a right way. They would have perhaps heard of Paul through the, through the process of time, but yet uh, did not know him, so obviously this was critically important, and Paul gives that introduction of who he is. And he says then to, in verse 4, that this letter is written to Titus, a true son in our common faith. Then he gives the address that is often that of Paul, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. And then he makes this statement, for this reason I left you in Crete. So obviously they were together there. It's difficult to... Uh, Understand or trust, I guess is a better word. It's difficult to trust another person's testimony. What I mean is this, is that sometimes people come to Alpine. Many of you are new here. Some of you just in the last year, some in the last month perhaps, some maybe new today. We shake hands, we smile, we uh, uh, try to affirm each other at the door, try to hear your story, uh, we're excited that you're here. We're, we're blessed that uh, God brings people into our church doors and as a congregation, that thrills us. And you get to know somebody. And so in the chatter and in the conversations, you're trying to find out who these folks are, where they're at, what they believe, why they came here. And as you sort of go through that uh, process week after week, gradually we get to know you a little better. And there's that sense of you're knowing us and us knowing you. Uh, we have established a uh, kind of a, a statement here uh, in, our, in our documents that a person cannot be an officer in this church, for example, unless they are a member for a year. And we do that because we want to guarantee that we do know you and that you know us. That there's a, a true sense of connection in our common faith, uh, even as Paul mentioned here. And so that, uh, obviously, as we share together, that's uh, a critical thing in our church, that we all understand who we are and uh, where we're going, what we believe, how we're going to flesh that out, and so on. And every church has its own unique nature about it and how it does that, and so that's very important. So when he says to Titus, a true son in our common faith, he is basically announcing here that, that it's so critical that these folks understand there is a sense of a common faith i'm guessing that even as you uh, went from city to city on this island which was not that large but there was distance and as you went from town to town uh there may be differences in how others believe because their beginning uh of established churches is so shallow and so uh, empty of 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 truth and and so it would be very difficult for them to be unified So Paul wants to make sure there there is a thing called common faith. There is something that we should have in common as we process who Christ is. So the introduction is for these folks. Titus already knows who he is in the eyes of Paul. He doesn't need uh, too much direction from Paul, I don't think, as we'll see in a minute. But these folks, if they're going to receive leadership from Titus, they have to uh, receive, first of all, Paul's recommendation that Titus is not just a protege of Paul. He's more than that. He's Paul's true begotten son. Paul says he was basically brought to faith. Uh, and Paul says in that statement that uh, this is an idea of, of being completely in common with each other. Uh, this is something these folks need to understand about Titus if you uh, receive Titus in leadership, you're basically receiving Paul in leadership. And and that's that's very, very important for us. They're of the same vintage in their faith. Titus comes in the likeness of Paul in his wisdom and in his spiritual strength. Uh, This is one strong reason why I'm a proponent of Alpine being in the business of developing leaders. And... By the way, I'll throw this in, even including interns. I'm saying that because when we bring an intern in here, there's a cost. It's, 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 not, it's not a freebie. Uh, they need help oftentimes. But young men and women need mentorship and they need molding. And so that uh, he's simply announcing here that Titus is one of those guys. He's, he's personally, uh, he, was, he was brought to faith by Paul in this common faith. He's, he's a true begotten son, and obviously he's been discipled by Paul in a common faith. That's important for the folks who understand who Titus is. Then he gives this, again, this introduction, grace, mercy, and peace uh, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We don't do that. Do we? When's the last time you wrote a letter to somebody that you know, maybe far away, and you began your letter with, To my dear so-and-so, grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of Jesus Christ. When's the last time you've written a letter like that? I, I, uh, I want to challenge myself and you that sometimes when we write letters and send cards Uh, oftentimes Meryl and I will be going to a birthday party or a graduation or something, and we're in the car, we have the card, maybe she bought the card, or maybe I bought the card, usually my wife, she's the one who's faithful, she buys the card, but she'll hand it to me, and say, here, write something, and I'm like, we're on our way there, yeah, so you pull over to the side of the road, you get your pen out, and, and I write, and you're trying to think on your feet as you're on the way somewhere. I'm not telling you we always do this, but it has happened often. So, so dear so-and-so, you know, I really appreciate you, blah, 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 blah. Signed, Pastor Byron of Maryland, with great deepest love, you know. I want to make sure you know that. <clears throat> but obviously, uh, when you write, sometimes we never think like this. And I want to challenge us that when Paul does this, and he he's does this over and over in his address uh, to, uh, to the church or to individuals as he confers on them three of the greatest words that could ever be conferred on anyone. Uh, it, it's, it's a blessing that you pass on to someone else. Grace to you. Uh, I know we don't talk like this, but when you consider what that means to each one of us, uh, there's there's something very, very important for us to not minimize these words because they contain the greatest eternal gifts of, of anything we could say to anyone else. God's wonderful grace, God's willingness to extend to us His mercy because none of us deserve that. Uh, So to to say on behalf of God, grace to you and and mercy to you and and peace to you. Can, Can you imagine this idea and understanding that this is our common faith? Our common faith says that each of us here has experienced grace Each of us here requires mercy, and each one of us here has had this tremendous blessing of peace from God that has brought us into a commonality that is so precious and so priceless, and that ought to be something common from our lips. But because of our culture and how we've been raised, we find it awkward to be so poetic and so Beautiful in our words about God, sometimes to each other, we us guys we'd rather go ug and bug you know we, we just we, we just don 't have a big vocabulary when it comes to spiritual things sometimes. I want to remind us that Paul, who was the toughest guy in the Word of God <clears throat> by any extreme, who had the heart to remind fellow believers, and he what he 's doing is he 's pulling cretans in to how. To think about common faith. That's exactly what he's doing. When he introduces this like this, he's saying to Cretans who don't yet understand uh, the gospel. Okay, I kind of get that. But they don't understand all the process of going from old covenant to new covenant. And what that means to them personally. So he wants them to know. Well, first of all, all of us in our common faith have experienced grace. And all of us in our common faith need mercy and have experienced that mercy from the Lord, unconditional mercy he's given us. And all of us here uh, receive from God a peace and a relationship with him that has changed our life. So he's writing that for a purpose, obviously, of pulling them together in this idea of a common faith. Then he gets to his, uh, the heart of his uh, letter. He begins to... Uh, Write what he had intended to say, and he gives. I, I, I've today I've gone to three directives, three leadership directives that Paul has written here. Uh, and, and I have struggled over this only from this standpoint that sometimes uh, going through the uh, Paul's writings to leaders, there's a tendency for many of us to feel left out. And I don't know if you've made uh, uh, your way through the book of Titus in a while, and it seems as though he's writing to leaders, and maybe you think, well, that's really not something for me to worry about too much. That's for the leaders around me. Uh, But I want to remind us again, as I did last week, that this is written to all the Cretans to understand who they are, uh, who they're going to follow how they're going to believe, and and obviously leadership is critically important in that, but uh, what he's going to say to even leaders is certainly applicable to all of us this morning. He begins with a letter of authority in verses 5 through 9. Let me read this to you. He says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. That's sort of the first double point there that he gives in terms of his authority. Titus, the first thing about authority is this. I'm assigning you to, uh, uh, to set in order uh, what is lacking. So he's giving authority to Titus to set in order these confused congregations. And then he adds to that, and also I want you to assign uh, or appoint elders in every city. So, those are his two uh, mandates of authority that he's handing off so that uh, those Cretans understand who is going to now be in charge. So, he goes on and he gives uh, this understanding of elders. And uh, the list is there, but before we do that, just to remind ourselves that if I'm going to set something in order, what is he talking about? Set in order. And uh, for me, I was thinking about, well, there's a lot of things, principles and practices of ministry, how church is done that's so critically important, uh, the proper form of worship, how that takes place, and the elements of that, the, the priority of the Word of God, especially doctrine, and obviously the priority of prayer. Because even even that is new. Uh, these are believers who don't really yet fully understand this. To establish order here and leadership and purpose among the saints is something very, very important. So Titus uh, is the guy. And uh, I want to just remind us that Titus is not some young kid. Titus has been around. Matter of fact, Titus uh, has had prior experience with with troubled churches. Uh, he has been left by Paul in, uh, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, and chapter 8, Titus was uh, working with the Corinthians. Uh, they were a tough crowd, and he was uh, basically a follow up with Paul and uh, really helped to pull them together and reorganize them. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, just one little comment Titus was sent by Paul to Dalmatia. If you do a little study on Dalmatia, it was a notorious haven for pirates. I mean, uh, Titus was not a flake. He was strong, and he knew exactly what he believed, and he was courageous and bold, and he had all those qualities that somebody who's in charge needs to have. And so uh, he's been around the block. Uh, So when he's writing here and saying what he's saying, this is really, again, all for the Cretans, not for Titus. He already knows what the qualifications are for leadership. I, I need to say this because people in today's church do not understand the criteria for leadership. People today want somebody who's just a great speaker, and you don't get that here. Uh, people who just want, you know, a, a personality, a, somebody who dresses in the in the common fads of the day, and uh, who uh, can lead and be somewhat cool. Uh, you know, the Hillsong thing in New York uh, uh, drives me bananas. It's it, and I'm not picking on them. Maybe they have great sermons, but I, I know that their pastor is often called hip and cool, and uh, I don't. I just don't know how that jives. Can I use that? With Jesus. I'm not really sure. But obviously, I am not hip or cool. I am boiling hot right now with this coat on. (laughs) Every church uh, has a starting point. This church did. And it's interesting what unfolds when churches start. And uh, I can think of some right now on the tip of my tongue that are local around here who have recently started. Uh, Matter of fact, when we started this church, I don't know the person, but uh, while we were in the Hartzler home then shifted to the school right in that time frame, another fellow decided to start some kind of Baptist church in a garage in Sugar Creek. I don't know what happened to that church. I don't think it's around. Uh, And if it is, I just don't know. I don't know where they are. They're not still in the garage, I don't think. Churches can start up, you know, and sometimes what happens, uh, and I want to say this, all this is introduction, so just bear with me here, but when churches sort of uh, launch off, I want to say boldly that every church that starts a ministry needs someone from outside of themselves to help them in the understanding of recognizing uh, the spiritual authority and the process by which they would uh, formulate who they are and what they believe, and that church is going to develop, and it's going to better develop from somebody who's not sort of in, inward connected but has an outward view coming in. I'm saying that, just think about the church at Antioch in Acts chapter uh, 11, uh, they're operating. They sound like they're a great church. Jerusalem hears about it. Uh, what do they do? They send Barnabas. Barnabas goes, and he investigates this church. He checks it out, and he realizes they're doing things well and good. He stays there for a year. He brings uh, Paul in. He's called Saul at the time. brings brings Paul in uh, and basically uh, uh, mentors Paul at that church through this ministry, and eventually they launch out to be missionaries. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, when we started our church, again, we, uh, uh, we came together, uh, there were what, 18 or 20 adults, we came together and we uh, met in a home and we simply talked about, uh, do you want to be your own church or do you want to go your separate ways? The consensus was, let's start a church. I reminded everyone that that's not easy and it's a long haul, it's a long road. We're here today because a few people said, "We believe, by faith, that God wants to do this." And they stayed faithful to the task, and you're here because of it. It's all God. But the thing of it was is that you start to throw into the hat what you believe, who you, who you, what you already believe, what you should believe,, uh, you know, who you're going to uh, sort of identities about, how you're going to uh, uh, walk through this thing and apply doctrinal truths. By the way, what are those doctrinal truths you believe? How are you going to make them flow and and, uh, sort of unfold and unpack this thing about Alpine? And as that all took place... Uh, things have fallen for the glory of Christ and we're thrilled about that. But uh, too many places that start up today, uh, you have people who sort of start churches and uh, basically they're all about their own papives, their extra biblical personal beliefs are things that they want to sort of promote uh, and, and obviously many churches sort of turn into almost cultic because they're ego controlled rather than Holy Spirit controlled. And so here you have that probably happening. You have these little church groups that are trying to unpack what they believe, uh, mixing in all kinds of things from Judaism to paganism uh, along with Jesus and it's just a mishmash and so you have Titus who's going to be left with the task of of organizing and reorganizing and obviously uh, assuming leadership and he's an outsider coming in to do this. So... Paul says to him, Set in order what was lacking. So when they all hear this, they realize, okay, oh, he's the guy in charge. <laughs> okay. He's going to set in order what we're doing here, he's going to make sense of it all. So that's one thing. Then he says to him also, uh, Appoint elders in every city. Uh, interesting uh, as we look at this, that the uh, understanding here of appointing elders. Uh, and he's being commanded by Paul to do this, this is something that needs to happen. And then he gives the qualifications for an elder. There are uh, basically uh, three titles that uh, can be used, but uh, we'll pick on elders first. Elders, uh, uh overseers is another title, Episcopos. Uh and and the first thing that I want to remind us, even from the text, we can see this, when he says to Titus, appoint in every city. In other words, uh, elders, bishops, overseers, whatever you want to call those people that have labels like that, they are never, never, never self-appointed. So when I look at a church, one of the first things I want to look at is the history of how they started, because that will tell me a whole lot about that church. Did that person start that church himself or did it start from uh, a conglomerate of people with someone from outside giving counsel and assistance? Uh, Obviously, uh, he's saying to a point, and then uh, the next thing we see in the text here, if a man is blameless. So automatically, uh, there's an issue that comes up, and I'll just dive right into this. When he says we believe that God has uniquely designed every one of us for specific things uh, unique to who we are. Uh, So God has called men and women, but he calls men to a certain leadership role. He calls women to a supportive role in that, and that's woven through the text. You can't Move it without distorting the God's word. So we, as a church, follow that pattern. It doesn't mean that a woman has less of a life or less qualifications. Uh, many times, uh, I have met women and uh, who are great leaders, and uh, obviously, in our culture, that's not an issue. Uh, in the church, we are looked at as very far to the right, uh, negative, bigoted. Uh, We believe that God has appointed men uh, to lead in this sense of leadership, and he has appointed women for other supportive roles in that. And there are leadership roles I believe some women hold. I'm not going to go into a long thing here, but the obvious thing that you can't uh, step away from is the first thing he says here. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, it's clear what he's saying. And yet, there are those today who want to change God's word. Uh, Danielle Strickland, she's a Canadian and a world speaker, uh, very vivacious, very uh, energetic, very uh, just full of wisdom. She's listened to around the world. She made this quote Difference through the lens of fear is a threat, but through the eyes of faith is a gift. Her well meaning intentions then. Fight for equality for women, and especially for women of faith. Uh, now, if you go on her site, you'll find oftentimes uh, uh, on Facebook her hashtags. That gives away, to me, more of who she is. Uh, under, her, uh, under her title, she has this, Celebrate Diversity. Uh, the next one is, God is Creative and Good. Uh, but the third one really caught me the other day. I'm a god, eh? <laughs> as soon as you see that, you realize where this is going. And though uh, there may be good intentions that some have that they believe that anybody should be a leader, anybody can be a leader, they're denying uh, a design in the Word of God that's an issue. So when Paul writes this to uh, this letter to these believers who are trying to carve out who they are, there is an established sense automatically that leadership, first of all, is coming down through a man and a husband of one wife. Uh, who has faithful children, not accused of uh, insubordination. Then he adds this other title, For a bishop must be blameless. So we have this sort of mix between elder and bishop. They really are overseer. They kind of mean the same thing, I believe. So presbyterus and episcopus, both words are used. Uh, Some believe that Paul used the the two different words only because of the influence of Rome and uh, some of the uh, culture around that So this understanding of of sort of hierarchy of leaders. But he wants them to understand he's interchanging them for that very reason. So there isn't one over the other. Basically, then as he goes through this, he uh, identifies that particular issue. Then he says uh, this word "blameless," and he says it twice. He says, "If a man is blameless." Now he talks about uh, being blameless in terms of a relationship with family, husband of one wife. I believe that's that does not mean, uh, or it could mean it could mean polygamy. I don't think that that's excluded here, but in the culture of the day, it was more just uh, having divorced and remarried, which was the issue there. Having faithful children not accused of insubordination. Having children in your home who are under your authority. Uh, For a bishop or an elder must be blameless, he says it again, as a steward of God. So there's two areas to be blameless. One is... Uh, culturally, uh, with family and uh, those who would know you out in the world. And the second one is blameless before God as his steward. Then he goes on to say, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine. There's that phrase we used uh, weeks ago. Not violent, uh, not greedy for money, uh, but hospitable, a lover of what is good. I always think of uh, Philippians 4, 8. Sober-minded. Somebody the other day was talking about me. We were, we were with some people, and uh, they were describing me. Uh, y- you're not very funny, <laughs> was the comment. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't remember jokes, so I can't tell a joke. I'm terrible at trying to tell a joke, so there's no sense bothering to try. I like to laugh at your jokes, if they're funny. But if they're not funny, I'm not going to laugh. I'm not going to fake my way through that one. But I said, I'm serious. That's what you're picking up on. I am serious. Uh, I still love life. I love to have fun. I love to play. I uh, love to be competitive. Uh, I, love, I love life. But I'm serious. I kind of just, I'm wired that way. I've always been like that. So, you know, yeah, okay, I'm not, I'm not a lot of fun. I'm so sorry I'm not the party guy. We were trying to have a party and I wasn't doing well at that. Well, you can at least act like you're having fun. Okay. <laughs> so I'll just fake my way through the next hour and we'll see how that goes. Uh, sober-minded, just, fair, we could say, just, righteous, holy. Did you see? Uh, maybe you didn't see it, but uh, Jared, uh, Jared and I, uh, Jared Hall and I, uh, we were together this last week and uh, I sent a picture to Larry, Uh, Jared and I uh, found a big trailer of donuts, and it was in big gigantic words, holy donuts, so we had to get our picture taken with that thing and sent it to Larry and said, this is what our church is missing, (laughs) holy donuts, that was cute. Sorry, the word just tripped a switch there, Uh, self-controlled. I'm learning more and more how to do that in certain areas of my life. Uh, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. This is so important in our church. Those of us who have positions of leadership and influence over others understand that we must have a grounding in our life that can enable us to take a stand on God's Word when it's necessary, and obviously not speak with a hammer, but speak with a sense of of spiritual conviction about what we believe to those who contradict. So obviously, you have to sometimes take a stand for what you believe in. The whole movement today is, is uh, let's just uh, make everybody feel good. Let's, let's, don't, uh, let's don't press anyone else's beliefs. Let's don't, let's don't back them down with our strong stand on what we believe. Let's don't counter them with a counterpunch. Let's, uh, let's just accommodate everyone and sort of let them believe what they want to believe. And that's killing us as a church. And it's happening faster than I can say it to you this morning across the board in churches. He says, uh, obviously, by sound doctrine, exhort and convict. So he gives this sense of this letter of authority. Then he, uh, I want to jump here now because he gives a letter of affirmation, and I want to jump over to that. We're going to come back and fill in the blanks later. Uh, over in chapter 3, he gives a, what I've called a letter of affirmation. This, uh, another, another directive here. Now, he's written a lot of things, but he comes to verse 8. He says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Some commentators think he's writing about everything he's already said, from chapter 1 all the way to here. I don't believe that. I think, I think the, 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 the more main point here is what verse 8 says on its own. This is a faithful saying uh, that I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. All of this is talking about what you keep needing to do. And obviously that's very important, to affirm constantly and that you should maintain this sense of good works. He says these things are good and profitable. Our, our, our works, we call them works, are our spiritual fruit, another way we could say it those things are necessary measurements of the state or the status of our faith. How do I know where my faith is? Well, my faith is measured not by what I say with my lips. It's measured by what I do. That's why James wrote how important it is that we have works that validate our faith. And so... (laughs) I think the thing that 's critical here is that we that little phrase being careful to maintain that 's a, a key phrase here that that 's the key thought because last year 's good works belong to last year, and sometimes what happens is we we had a, a high moment in our spiritual experience somewhere in our life, in our journey. And some of us still ride on that. Some of us still stake our claim on that day, that moment, that event that uh, was so thrilling and we still bring it up. And I want to say that since I learned how short my life is, those things don't count for anything. It's what I'm doing right now, right now, right? Are you with me? It's what we do right now that's critically important for us. Where is your faith and how is it being fleshed out right now? Uh, here's another thing I thought I'd add to this. Not all of our good works, as he's talking about good works here, not all of my good works are necessarily seen by anyone, right? And so, you know, this idea, for, for example, continuously praying for the unsaved around us, that can seem like a powerless idea exercise and monotonous oftentimes but who knows what unseen forces are at work in another person's life in the moment that you're praying who knows i uh i have uh people i pray for and their names pop up often in my prayer times sometimes i feel like my prayers for them just aren't doing anything but that's because they're not changing But you know what? Who knows what's going on inside? Marilyn's sister was never a responsive person to Christianity. In the years that I've known her, hard to talk to, just goes silent in those moments. Uh, She lives far away, far away. They live out in the boonies. They live in a town called 100 Mile. (laughs) It's 100 miles from nowhere, basically. It's in in, uh, British Columbia. They're way out there. Bears live on their back porch. I mean, it's that kind of place. And, and so, you know, her husband just passed away yesterday. Now, this is Marilyn's sister. But, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe a month ago or so, Carolyn sent us a video of a new church that they were going to. And she was so excited about the church. She videoed every minute of that service and sent it to us. So it took forever to get the thing. And so I'm, I'm I'm trying to watch this. And I'm telling you that church was an exact duplicate from everything from how they operate, how they look, how they sound, how the guy preached to Merrill and I, our home church where we grew up. It, it's a very evangelical, very vibrant place. Uh, Uh, Just a wonderful sermon. Uh, The guy gave an invitation at the end. Uh, It was just a great place. And And Carolyn was so proud to send us the video of her new church. And that was just a month ago, a month or two. And I'm thinking, God's doing something that we don't even know about. And now her husband's gone. He wasn't going with her. But now he's gone. And I have to believe that that church in the nick of time will be the salvation of Carolyn's breath of life. I just think she's going to find, you know, uh, support and prayer and a vibrancy of believers around her they are going to surround her right now. And who knows how God's going to use that in her life. But I'm telling you, prayers, 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 prayers. And all of a sudden you realize God is doing something. Sometimes we... Just don't give the intensity we need to. So I want to just remind all of us today to turn up the fire on our prayers for those things that don't seem to be happening. And maybe pray as though, as though in your mind time is running out. I think we need to pray like that. Can I say this to us? This is just a statement I felt like writing. Prayer is our greatest act. Prayer is our greatest work on behalf of God and His glory. When we talk about works, affirm constantly, be careful to maintain good works, there's nothing of a higher priority than maintaining prayer as a work. If you could just give a little flippant casual prayer, that's, that's not much work. Uh, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, John and I were working out in our physiotherapy together. We're buddies there. And it was a week ago. This last week, uh, last Tuesday, we did good, but it was the week before. I think it was the Thursday before. And uh, we were joking with the two nurses that are hovering over us. And uh, basically, we were I was faking them out because they were telling me what level I'm supposed to be working and... Uh, John and I were talking, and I I said, well, you know, I've been sloughing off. I'm I'm not going near as fast as she's telling me. So when she walks away, I change my numbers. (laughs) So it's easier. So I wouldn't sweat so much, you know. Then when she comes back, I crank it back up, you know. And we were joking about it. The girls knew. We were laughing with them about it. And and, uh, I think she called us slackers that day or whatever, you know. But obviously, this is (laughs) such an important, important issue. I don't want to hammer this too much, but obviously this is so crucial. When I got cards from you and people were saying, we're praying, we're praying, I never realized how precious that phrase means. They really are praying. This really does mean something. It really is a powerful thing God's doing. But I can remind you, there are other works. A powerful witness from you can be uh, just the constant flow of cards or inspiring words that you write in your car on the way to a party. I'm, I had to throw that in, obviously. But the cards or letters come at just the right time, or maybe a phone call. Being hospitable to somebody. Uh, inviting someone into your home. Uh, visiting the sick, obviously, or a, a nursing home where no one likes to go sometimes. Volunteering as a child helper. We're all petrified of what they're going to do to us if we go back there and work. It's not that bad. Or perhaps being a teacher to our children or to young people, or whoever. All those things are good works that we can do. But obedience to God's commands and His promptings is a constant effort that enables us to shine and to stand in critical moments. And that's absolutely necessary for us. This letter of affirmation is reminding us to affirm constantly this issue. And then the third uh, directive is in verses 9 through 11. A letter of admonition. He says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Now, when he, let me go back. When he's talking about genealogies, he's not talking about getting your little genealogy kit out and trying to find your name and go through your history and who's who and who was married to what and blah, blah, blah. That's not what he's talking about. You remember when Paul dealt with the Corinthians and they were saying, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of so-and-so. And there was this sort of claim on who's going to be my spiritual mentor, which was really kind of saying, you're not going to be my spiritual mentor, I have mine over here. There, there, is, a, uh, there is a resistance that some of us have even here in church. If I asked you who is your most favorite radio speaker personality, <laughs> And we took a poll this morning. You'd all have your little names. Those of you who drive a lot, listen to the radio, and you might uh, say, uh, you know, uh, back in the day, it could have been uh, MacArthur, it could have been uh, who knows who else. Uh, and I, and obviously, all of them have written books, and we all have those that we think, oh, uh, if he says it, I know it's the truth. Isn't that true? If so-and-so speaks it, I know it's the truth. Some of you younger millennials, you have your heroes who are now speakers and writing books, and all of us have somebody in our minds. And so when he talks about genealogies, that's really more of what he's talking about are the roots, the spiritual roots of, of who we are, who we listen to, who's, who, who's the heroes of our faith, and who uh, uh, sort of how we think, and, and uh, we've picked up their, their dialogue on different beliefs and, and issues. Contentions. Uh, strivings about the law. That certainly was true in this place. He says, for they are unprofitable and useless. And so we have a ton of useless disputes today. I think they are. This whole, uh, and for you doctrine people, this whole Arminian Calvinist thing, it, it drives me insane. Neither in word's in the Bible, so why are we fussing about what those guys said? All you got to know is what the Bible teaches and translate it well, and I'm not giving claim to those guys. We have to figure it out for ourselves and live that faith out. I don't need those guys and say, I'm attached to them. They're, they're my heroes. Well, that's great. Uh, this our argument about the rapture, I'm just going to attack it right now, okay? Is there or not a rapture or is there not a rapture? Can I say this and be nice? It really doesn't make any difference. Don't get mad at me. Jesus is coming back. Is that true? Okay. Did he tell us when? No. No one knows but the Father. Uh, Okay. So I can preach about his return. That's a fact. I can preach about the fact that we'll see him in the air. Thus shall we be with him uh, uh, forevermore. That's a fact. I can preach about the fact that he's going to set his feet down at the Mount of Olives and he's going to rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Son of David. I believe that, though some don't. We can fuss about lots of details, but whether if there is a rapture, I'm not here to, I'm not talking about that today. That'll be another series. If there is a rapture, uh, some want to tag it pre trib, mid trib, pre wrath, post trib. That's, that's human reasoning okay we don't know when we have ideas and we stake our claim on what i would like to see happen but those things are not clearly presented in the word of god can i say that are you okay with me saying that that doesn't mean i don't believe it i'm saying it's not definitively clear Some of those things. I know he's coming back. I know all of that. I know we're going to stand before Christ. I know that uh, there's going to be a judgment day. All of that is fact. Uh, But obviously, when we start fussing and fighting about when and how, we're in the wrong path. A Baptist church in Lexington, Kentucky, I've told you this before, they believe they're descendants of John the Baptist. I want to say, duh, you're not Jewish, The Worldwide Church of God, which has tried to change their image, but they're still really the same. They believe they're descendants of the two lost tribes of Israel. And I want to say, you're not Jewish. There are other churches that have fallen into this pattern of the Pharisees inventing laws that define spirituality from dress codes to worship codes, but the one that to me is the worst of all and the most insult to God is when someone wants to present their church or their denomination as exclusive as the only way into heaven. Uh, If you're visiting with us today and you have a Catholic background though they're trying to be nice to us and incorporate this sort of commonality around the gospel, if you don't belong to the Catholic Church, by their own definition, you can't go to heaven. Uh, Oh, the Mormons, they say the same thing. They're really nice people. But if you don't believe and if you don't attend their church, you're not going to heaven. Oh, let's talk about some churches down the street. Let's forget about the big boys. If you're belonging to the Church of Christ, some of you came from that. If you belong to a church of Christ, they believe they're the only church that goes to heaven. Hmm. Oh, you know what? Uh, I hate to do this because this is very local for some of you and it's very dear to your hearts, but really down deep, if you really understand, the Lutheran church believes that very same thing. Oh, wow. Wow. If we want to be really honest, though we're all trying to be nice and friendly with each other, we have our very exclusive ideas that sometimes we don't put them on the forefront and sell ourselves with that big, bold statement, you don't belong unless you belong to us, but it's there. And I want to say this morning, shame on them. Because that's a lie, it's deceitful, it's wicked, it's evil. It has nothing to do with the grace of God. Of the lord that 's why Paul again started this letter with grace, mercy, and peace. those three requirements for entrance into the kingdom uh, can I try to finish? I got five minutes. Let me try to finish. I'm going to hurry here. So obviously, he says avoid foolish disputes. Then he adds this little phrase on verse ten: reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Wait a minute. How do you reject the guy after the first and then after the second? What is he saying? Uh, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. If you uh, understand at all the tone of what Paul's saying, it's a really tough statement. He's saying a divisive person in the body of Christ, he or she, he's saying, is not born again, but rather is an imposter. This is somebody who claims to be a believer in the church, but they're always standing against, they're always in a divisive mode, they're always causing a riff in the body of Christ. And he says here, reject a man after the first And second admonition. Well, if you reject him after the first, why do you have to reject him after the second? And the only reason I can give you is this. A divisive person doesn't change unless the Spirit of God completely, completely turns them around. The tone and the the attitude we're being warned here is a major issue in the church. And he says after the first admonition, Reject them he says the second because they're not going to change. You can reject them after the first if they change great, but a second one uh, that's just going to prove the fact that what he's saying is they're not believers, but they're they're certainly uh, uh dedicated to cause trouble that 's why we can I say this okay that 's why I believe we. Do not have divisive people in our church. Now, what you need to know is that yes, behind the scenes, because I don't do it from here, some churches in the area have done that—called people out from the pulpit. We'll never do that unless you have a gun and you're pointing it at me, and then the guys in here will pounce on you. But that's—that's that's different. I have no control of that, and they're all waiting, hoping that'll happen someday. I think. <laughs> I know, Larry, you winced. I'm sorry. It was a joke. Okay. Our guys are ready and prepared to do what is right. And that's good. But obviously, a a divisive person is someone who is doing hellish work by their attitudes and words. It's never to be allowed in the body of Christ. So behind the scenes, there have been people in my office that I have asked to leave. And I have no bones about it. I have no problem doing that if that's their attitude. Go divide another church. You will not divide Alpine. It's not about me. It's about our church and the Spirit of God here. And you're not a part of that. If you're going to say you love Jesus and cause determined trouble, you don't belong here. Is that okay? Do you give me permission to do that? Because I've been doing it. just a couple of times, probably only two or three times in my 20 years of being here. But I've had to do it. He says that we should be obviously people who are, as he sort of ends this, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. And so he's reminding us that that's so critical. We understand that issue. It's not a small thing. Uh, So obviously, I just want to end by saying this morning that we need to remain as a people who have a spirit of humility, as people who are teachable. We need to understand critical doctrinal issues together, but we need to stand firm in that knowledge. We need to recognize spiritual leadership in the church for what God is doing, that this is simply a spiritual gift in some of us, that uh, all other gifts that are in this church are just as important as the gift of leadership. And we need to understand that and honor that. But we also, uh, I want to add to this, we need to recognize, and here's a really tough one, that Christian organizations, really by the very nature of what Paul's saying to this church, Christian organizations should be submissive to local church government, even though that's not true in most cases. For Alpine Bible Church this morning and her future leaders, I just want to say that we are... Obviously, looking for those who are God-appointed servant leaders and that all of us here together in this entire room are called on by him to live righteous and holy lives, bearing good works. This is not just for leaders. While also standing firm on God's word. That's for all of us here this morning. Obviously, as we stand together for the future, And uh, obviously, if someone comes our way and we see leadership qualities in them, we should lift that up and nurture that and try to help train and mentor those who are into that and hand off leadership to those coming behind us. Titus, set in order. Titus, appoint elders. Uh, Obviously, uh, how you stand, how you work, keep your good works, maintain those good works. As we uh, think about this word to us today, I pray that uh, we can take something from it for ourselves. didn't mean to just pick on leadership today, it's for all of us. But this church is under God's blessing because we have seen this and we follow this path. And I am so thankful for you for that. I have so many comments from people who, who uh, are outside, who come in, uh, different leaders, um, Last uh, May, when Dave Adams was here, I mean, we're friends, but you know, Dave never passes out compliments if he doesn't mean it. And uh, he was so complimentary. He said of the leadership of our church, and he wasn't talking about me. He was just so complimentary of that, uh, and uh, impressed how God was just carrying on. Uh, you trust your church? Yes, I do. You trust your leadership? Absolutely. And uh, he was so impressed with that because most of us in ministry know about, hear about, and sometimes deal with leadership that is just off the wall and uh, sometimes a solo leadership thing and churches are in rebellion to that or uh, pastors in rebellion to the congregation and it's just a mess. And praise God that isn't here. Praise the name of the Lord our God. That song we sang, that ought to be fresh in our lips every day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this congregation. Uh, thank you for the uh, gift of, of those who work uh, with your word, who teach your word, who share your word. Thank you for all of us here who understand that uh, as the need of our life and to respond and follow from the fact that your word is that which changes us. Help us to live that out today. Help us to re- maintain those good works, uh, to uh, maintain a right spirit here of unity and, and love and, and humility. We give you all the praise for what you're doing. We ask your blessing on us in the days ahead. Thank you for each person here, and go with us now, I pray. in Amen. God bless you.